The 14th century English mystic Julian of Norwich has been talked about by people in many different ways, but first and foremost, she's the author of an extraordinary text, The Revelations, which is the earliest known text authored by a woman in English. Personally, she has been a friend and companion in my Christian life for over 30 years. I'm the Reverend David Simmons, Episcopal priest and oblate in the Order of Julian of Norwich. Thank you for joining me as we read and pray through the works of this extraordinary woman of faith and explore what she has to teach us about God's love. Hello and welcome to Love Was His Meaning, reading and praying with Julian of Norwich. And we are ready for chapter 61 in the Revelations. Let's start with the little office that is linked to in the description. Arise, O Jerusalem, and spend, stand upon the height and look towards the east, and see your children gathered from west and east at the word of the Holy One. Let's join in Psalm 84. How dear to me is your dwelling, O Lord of hosts! My soul has a desire and longing for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh rejoice in the living God. The sparrow has found her a house, and the swallow a nest where she may lay her young. By the side of your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are they who dwell in your house. They will always be praising you. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on the pilgrim's way. Those who go through the desolate valley will find it a place of springs, for the early rains have covered it with pools of water. They will climb from height to height, and the God of gods will reveal himself in Zion. Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Hearken, O God of Jacob. Behold our defender, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For one day in your courts is better than a thousand in my own room, and to stand at the threshold of the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is both sun and shield. He will give grace and glory. No good thing will the Lord withhold from those who walk with integrity. O Lord of hosts, happy are they who put their trust in you. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let's join together in the prayer of Julian. God of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough to me, and I can ask nothing that is less that can be full honor to you. And if I ask anything that is less, I shall always be in want, for only in you have I all. Amen. Well, we are up to chapter 61, uh, and a reminder, we are, it'll be obvious from the reading, we're still in a section where she's talking about the motherhood of God in some great detail and exploring all the aspects of that idea. In our spiritual birthing, our mother uses more tenderness for our protection without any comparison, by as much as our soul is of more value in his sight than the flesh. He kindles our understanding. He directs our ways. He eases our conscience. He comforts our soul. He lightens our heart. And he gives us, partially, knowledge and love of his blessed Godhead, along with gracious remembrance of his sweet manhood and his blessed passion, with gracious wonder at his high, surpassing goodness, and he makes us to love all that he loves because of his love, and to be satisfied with him and all his works. If we fall, quickly he raises us by his loving embrace and merciful touching, 
and when we are thus strengthened by his sweet deed, then we willingly choose him, by his sweet grace, to be his servants and his lovers everlastingly without end. After this he permits some of us to fall more severely and more grievously than ever we did before, as it seems to us. And then we believe, we who are not all wise, that all was not that we had begun. But it is not so, because it is necessary for us to fall, and it is necessary for us to recognize it. For if we fell not, we would not know how weak and how miserable we are by ourselves, nor also would we so thoroughly know the amazing love of our Creator. For we shall see truly in heaven without end that we have grievously sinned in this life, and notwithstanding this, we shall see that we were never lessened in his love, nor were we ever of less value in his sight. By means of the test of this falling, we shall gain a high, wondrous knowledge of love in God without end. For strong and wondrous is that love which cannot nor will not be broken because of trespass. And this is one understanding of our benefits from falling. Another is the lowliness and humility that we shall gain by this sight of our falling, for thereby we shall highly be highly raised in heaven, and we might never have come to this raising without that humility. And therefore it is necessary for us to see our fall, for if we see it not, although we fall, it would not benefit us. And usually first we fall, and afterward we see it, and both by the mercy of God. The mother can allow the child to fall sometimes, and to be distressed in various ways for its own benefit, but she can never permit any kind of peril to come to the child because of her love. But even if our earthly mother could allow her child to perish, our heavenly mother Jesus cannot allow us that we are his children to perish. He is all power, all wisdom, and all love, and so is none but he. Blessed may he be. But often when our falling and our misery is shown to us, we are so sorely frightened and so greatly ashamed of ourselves that scarcely do we know where we can hide ourselves away. Then our courteous mother wills not that we flee away, for him nothing would be more distasteful, but he wills that we follow the behavior of a child. For when a child is distressed or afraid, it runs hastily to the mother for help with all its might. So wishes he that we act as a humble child, saying thus, My kind mother, my gracious mother, my dear worthy mother, have mercy on me. I have made myself foul and unlike to thee, and I am neither able nor know how to amend it except with thy secret help and grace. And if we do not feel ourselves eased very quickly, we may be sure that he is practicing the behavior of a wise mother. For if he sees that it would be more benefit for us to mourn and weep out of love, he permits it with compassion and pity until the best time. And he wills that we betake ourselves strongly to the faith of Holy Church, and find there our dear worthy mother in the solace of true understanding with all the blessed communion of saints. For one particular person can often be broken, as it seems, by himself, but the whole body of Holy Church is never broken, nor ever shall be without end. And therefore a certain thing it is, a good and gracious thing, to will humbly and strongly to be made fast and wanted to our mother, Holy Church, that is, Christ Jesus. For the flood of mercy, that is his dear worthy blood and precious water, is adequate to make for us fair and pure. The blessed wound of our Savior is open and rejoices to heal us. The sweet, gracious hands of our mother are already and diligently about us, 
For he, in all this action, practices the duty of a kind nurse, who has nothing else to do except attend to the safety of her child. It is his function to save us. It is his honor to do it, and it is his will that we acknowledge it. For he wills that we love him sweetly, and trust in him humbly and strongly. And this he showed in these grace-filled words, I keep thee full safely. So this chapter, uh, Watkins and Jen- uh, uh, Watkins and Jenkins. Um, oh, sorry, just a sec. <clears throat> yeah, Watkins and Jenkins. What's Watson and Jenkins? I always tend to get that wrong. Uh, Watson and Jenkins uh, talks about this chapter as being the spiritual delivery, being the cho- topic of chapter. Uh, you know, she's talked about the the physicality of the motherhood of. Uh, with us, and in this case, she's talking specifically about issues of sin and obedience and return, um, and so it's more of a spiritual delivery. And this is another point to point out the fact that she talks very tenderly about this um, uh, part about being a mother. Biographically, we have no idea whether Julian ever was a mother. Uh, many of her insights about motherhood tend to lead some commentators to um, to, to, to suggest that uh, she may have been a mother before she entered the anchor hold, uh, that she uh, could have lost her children in the Black Death, uh, which is likely the same sickness that brought her close to um, death and gave her the revelations. Um, or, or it may be that she she's older at that point and enters the anchor hold after her children have grown up. Or she never had children, and she's just very observant of this nature. Um, so we, we can't really tell anything, but there's there, one, one needs to know that that commentary is out there, that lots of people believe that her insights seem to indicate that she had some experience with, with motherhood in this way. And the other th- interesting thing to note about these chapters on motherhood is how um, Julian gender bends constantly, because she'll talk about Christ our mother and then use a masculine pronoun. So Christ, our mother, he, he never uses the feminine program pronoun. She never uses the feminine program pronoun, even when she's talking about Christ as mother. So it's this constant keeping you in a a kind of a a limbic state, you know, a state in between um, these, the, the, the ideas of masculinity and femininity, which were much more set in some ways um, than in our modern society where we're talking about things about transgendered or or um, uh, non-gendered uh, persons. And that's something that we can bring to bear for today is that um, a lot of our um, Christian forebears talked about God in, in very gen- non-gender binary ways. Um, in our spiritual birthing, our mother uses more tenderness for our protection without any comparison. Um, so uh, this is one of uh, the, the points where the, the looking at Jesus as being tender uh, in the way that um, Julian uh, thinks about motherhood. Uh, if we fall, he raises us by his loving embrace and merciful touching. So when we fall, uh, he, uh, Jesus' mother reaches out to us and immediately raises us, and we're strengthened by that sweet deed. After this, he permits some of us to fall more severely and more grievously than we ever did before. So she's talking, this sounds very autobiographical here, uh, because she says specifically, and then we believe, we who are not all wise, you know, she's um, saying, this is my opinion of how this works, Uh, but that some of us are, are allowed to fall more severely and more grievously than we did before, even before we were in a relationship with God. Uh, if, if there was a time that we 
ever really weren't. That's a, another good question. But he permits some of us to fall more severely and more grievously than we did before because there is this benefit in falling. Because if we didn't fall, if we didn't fall into sin, if we didn't become separated from God, we wouldn't know how weak and miserable we were by ourselves, nor could we thoroughly know the amazing love of our Creator. Um, this is uh, back to this idea of, in Latin, the Felix culpa, or the fortunate fall. Um, whereas most of the time, quite often, if you hear in the church, people are talking about the separation from God, the idea of original sin as being completely negative. Uh, this idea that is definitely is in Judaism and definitely comes into Christianity and in many strains is this idea of if it weren't for the, the original fall, if it weren't for us being in the separated state, then we would never have the reunification with God, which is the, the, the really important part. So she's saying sometimes it's really important um, for us to fall so that we can be corrected in one way or another and become even closer to God. Um, the um and we as she talks about a little bit later it's necessary for us to see the fall it's necessary for us to notice it because if we don't if we didn't see it even if it happened it wouldn't benefit us so um as a mother you know and this she's using this this thing of a mother of sometimes you know a, a parent has to watch their child um as a parent, I've experienced this many times. As a parent, sometimes you just have to sit back and let your child fail. You know, not in a way that will permanently harm them, but they have to sometimes figure out what it is that they're doing wrong on their own. You know, my daughter always used to say she wanted to do stuff all by her elf. Um, and quite often, uh, instead of insisting and jumping in, you would sit back and watch her do it and see her, f maybe, maybe she wouldn't figure it out. Maybe she would need your help, but it was important to allow her to do that. And what Julian is saying is it's like that with us and God. God has to sit back and watch us with our, our ids and our egos, sit back and figure this out on our own to some extent. And that's how we enter into spiritual growth. But she can never permit any kind of peril to come to the child because of her love. Uh, is the way that he puts it. So um, the idea that, um, yes, we're going to sit back and we're going to allow that child to experience life by itself, but there's going to be limits on that. You're not going to allow the child to do anything that, that puts them in real peril. Um, and she puts a caveat in here that's interesting. But even if our earthly mother could allow her child to perish, our heavenly mother Jesus cannot allow us that are his children to perish. She kind of makes an acknowledgement that human motherhood is not always perfect. You know, that there there are mothers, earthly mothers, that that um, for one reason or another through um, uh, mental illness or one thing or another uh, allow their children to perish or, or worse. Um, but the point is that the heavenly mother Jesus cannot allow us that are his children to perish. So uh, once again, we have to remember that motherhood is a metaphor. God is not a father. God is not a mother. God is like a father. God is like a mother. And you can't, you can't stretch that metaphor too far. You have to accept it for the value of the person who's using the metaphor. And in Julian's metaphor, um, the, the um, heavenly mother, Jesus, cannot allow us that are his children to perish. He wills that when we follow the that we follow the behavior of a child. For when a child is distressed or afraid, it runs hastily to the mother for for help with all its might. So, 
you know, this is one of those things that uh, I think as we get older, we're, we're less likely to do because we become more, quote, self-reliant, which is in itself a, a, a complete um, illusion for us. But, you know, if you think about how a child, when a child gets hurt, gets stung by a bee or, or something like that, the child just immediately runs, if the mother is around or the father is around, immediately to their parent and, and runs with all of its might. Um, and she uses this, this word of uh, courteous mother. So she's entering back into this courtly idea, uh, you know, uh, the, the two kind of uh, poles of the way that that Julian looks at God is both as homely as very easy and in our lowest functions, but also as a courteous Lord, as a, a, a court, a love in a courtly love tale, a French courtly love tale. So also removed, but, but courteous. Um, so, and this, so this is the courteous mother uh, speaks in a way that almost never you would speak to your mother. My kind mother, my gracious mother, my dear worthy mother, have mercy on me. Um, so she's she's picking up this kind of um, uh, earthy idea of motherhood and elevating it up to this idea of courteous love again and 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 speaking in very courteous terms back like in the the terms of the Lord and the servant um, parable uh, that we were that we were using earlier for he and sometimes we don't find ourselves eased very quickly for he sees that if it would be more benefit for us to mourn and weep out of love, he permits it with compassion and pity until the best time. So once again, sometimes uh, as a parent, we have to, we allow our children to continue to understand this, the ramifications of their actions. Um, and it's, uh, of course, you're going to love them, but sometimes that love doesn't always mean immediately um, assuring them of everything being all right. Sometimes it, it does mean allowing them to live with the the uh, with their actions until such a time as they've they've kind of internalized the lesson, uh, not in a punishing way, but in in a loving way. Um, and she says, "So it is with God." You know, this is this answers helps answer one of those questions of like I you know I've entered into this relationship with God, and I. I asked for forgiveness of this, or I did that, but I didn't get an immediate assurance that everything was okay. This is what's going on. It's, it's possible that we're we're waiting for that assurance because there's still a lesson for us to learn um, being before that assurance. And then there's a, a large passage in here about uh, talking, switching from the metaphor of Jesus' mother to the metaphor of the Holy Church. Um, and this is really important for Julian. Um, some commentators tend to look at her language about Holy Church as being a way that she... Um, kind of hedges her bets because so much of what she's saying uh, in the revelations uh, could have been considered on the edge of heretical uh, at the time. Although I will say all the stuff about Julian being mother, God or God being mother, you know, that's nothing new that Julian comes up with. There have been plenty of people who have said that before. But as a person who's living outside a a, a religious community that could protect her, as living as a woman in a society, um, you know, there is probably some question for her of like, how widely do I want this stuff published? And, um, you know, for her own protection to some ex extent. And some people have said, well, all this stuff about talking about Holy Church is just her hedging her bets. I don't believe that. I take it at its face value that she really, she holds, she is okay. And, and a lot of that criticism has this idea of not being able to hold um, differences in tension. But that is really Julian's 
um, genius is that she's able to hold intention. You know, I saw this and God sold, taught, saw me this, and Holy Church teaches this, and they're both true at the same time, even though they're contradictory. It's just my problem that I can't reconcile the two. It's not church's problem. It's not God's problem. It's my problem as a human being who can't see all ends at this point. And, and it'll all be reconciled in the end. So, you know, Julian holds up those two tensions and her genius is being able to hold those tensions and not resolve them and not require to resolve them. And I think especially for people in a modern era who are living with so many contradictions at any given time. And this is one of our, the markings of our age is we live where there are many things going on at the same time. Being able to hold truth's intention, even if they sometimes contradict each other, is a really important thing because it's that tension that is creative for us. It's that tension that allows us uh, to, to move forward um, as, as people in the Christian life. And one of the things that I love that she says in this chapter about this for one particular person can often be broken, as it seems by himself, but the whole body of holy church is never broken, nor ever shall be, without end. So, this is an important thing to remember for those of us who are Christians, that, yes, there are very broken people inside the church. No question about that. In fact, you know, that's, uh, you know, we are a hospital for sinners, not a, not a, ho not a luxury hotel for saints. Um, very broken people inside the church. There are very broken systems inside the church. There are, every denomination has its own problems, some of them more severe, some of them less severe, some more horrifying, some less horrifying. Our history, uh, you know, as Christians, has both the heights of um, opposition to, to power and also collusion with power. You know, there's the the good and the bad. It's, it's all lumped in together right there. Um, and the, the point that she's making is that she says in terms, cause she usually speaks in personal terms of any person can be broken inside the church. All sorts of things can be broken inside the church, but the whole body of Christ is never broken at once. You know, the, there is a reality and a truth that the church brings forward through the ages in its many facets from, uh, from the Western to the Eastern traditions, from Roman Catholicism all the way down to the Baptist tradition. There are truths that the Holy Church, Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church brings forward that cannot be broken uh, because they, they come directly from Jesus. But even while we acknowledge that, we always have to acknowledge that, that that doesn't mean that every system inside the church is holy. It doesn't mean that every person inside the church is doing God's will. It certainly does not mean that we have to accept anything that comes out of the, the very human institution, institution of the church at face value. It just means that we need to remember that the, the truth that the church points to uh, is a truth that's beyond um, beyond the humanity of any of us, because all of us are broken in one way or another. And if anything else you get out of this chapter, that should be something you, you should get out of this, is that we all fall short. We all fall, we all fall short of sin. But instead of the idea of God as the angry judge who stands before us and just waits for us to mess up so he can sentence us to hell, God is the loving mother who is using the, that separation from God in a way to teach us lessons, in a way for us to improve ourselves, in a way for us to become more humane, 
to each other in a way that we can become uh, better lovers of Christ and better lovers of each other. Let us join together in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I ask your prayers for those on our prayer list, remembering particularly the people of Ukraine, and I bid your prayers and intercession silently or aloud at this time. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Most holy Lord, the ground of our beseeching, who through your servant St. Julian revealed the wonder of your love, grant that as we are created in your nature and restored by your grace, our wills may be so made one with yours that we may come to see you face to face and gaze on you forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning this week. Uh, we will continue on next week. Uh, until then, take care of yourselves and God bless. Thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning today. This podcast is generally available once a week on Thursday. The text of Julian's Revelations used in this podcast is The Complete Julian by Father John Julian Swanson OJN and is used by permission of the Order of Julian of Norwich. The theme music is Julian of Norwich by Bombadil and is used under license.